Welcome to Simulcast Podcast. I'm Victoria Brazel and I'm joined again by Jesse Spur to bring you our Smack Sim Rap. How are you, Jesse? Fantastic, Vic. We've both been at the recent Smack conference in Berlin, and among many highlights, uh, simulation was a theme that was woven through the conference and the community that attended. So we thought a simulcast episode recapping on some of those messages and the themes was timely. Uh, Jesse, you were there. You had a good time? Had a fantastic time. The single stream with, with Sim woven all the way through it was quite an amazing thing. Yeah, and I guess for our listeners who may not have been to a SMAC conference, just a little bit of background. The Social Media and Critical Care, which is where the word SMAC comes from, conference started in 2013 in Sydney, and it was the brainchild of some friends of ours, a small group of intensive care specialists in Sydney. And and to be honest, I think it's really redefined the way we think about medical conferences. Great speakers, great messages, hardcore critical care in a really engaging format, and perhaps most importantly, supporting uh, supporting a community of like-minded practitioners from across disciplines uh, in critical care and across professions. So there were 700 people who came in 2013 in Sydney, and there were 2,500 in Berlin a couple of weeks ago. And additionally, there's now a host of aligned educational wellness and social activities. Of course, it's not perfect and not for everybody, and I guess a little disclaimer that both Jesse and I are on the organising committee, but certainly for me, I personally have had great experiences making friends uh, at SMAC and developing my speaking skills to meet the very high expectations uh, of the audience there. So that's my thoughts. Uh, anything else you want to say about the conference, Jesse? Yeah, I guess just before people switch off, um, we are acknowledging our own biases here, and it's not certainly not going to be... Uh, 20-minute promo for Smack, um, more a reflection on some of the learnings and some of the really interesting things of seeing simulation playing a huge part in a non-primarily simulation-focused conference. Yes, and hence the title, The Trojan Horse, and I agree with you. It's a nice perspective. This wasn't a conference about simulation, and yet we can see how important as a theme it's become in terms of both the improved delivery of clinical care as well as those who are very involved in education using it as appropriate as one of their educational tools. So as Jesse said, the simulation activities were embedded in main stage talks, in workshops, in panel discussions, and the sim house that we discussed in our simulcast episode last month with Sarah Katrin Cook. Uh, So I thought I'd kick off by just talking about the main stage talks. And while a number of talks made reference to simulation, there were three linked main stage talks that gave us a framework and some examples for thinking about simulation particularly in the context of critical care. So the first day, Claire Richmond, who works for the Sydney Retrieval Service, basically outlined simulation principles and practice in an incredibly succinctly delivered 15 minutes. And the messages, among many, included really knowing what you're trying to achieve, connecting that to decisions about how you're going to do that and where you're going to do your simulation, and of course, making sure the conversation afterwards gets the most out of that sim experience. And her talk then introduced the first of a three-part simulation. And this was a video of a team performing a retrieval of a head-injured patient named Leah in a bushland location and and making decisions about airway management. Uh, And in watching the video, I think we realised the importance of that realistic setting, the opportunities for simulated patients and mannequins, uh, and the use of confederates, or as some people describe it, the embedded simulated persons. 
And one of the interesting things is as we watched, everyone was amazed at how much the mannequin that was being intubated looked just like the actor that we'd seen a few minutes earlier. But Jesse, you've actually filled in this gap for us. Tell us about the backstory. Yeah, well, um, Dave Halliwell of uh, Lifecast, which is a relatively new company that's developing ultra-realistic human-like mannequins expressly for simulation purposes, uh, wrote a fantastic blog post um, that I stumbled across actually on LinkedIn last night and have shared that via Twitter, explaining the process of actually how Leah the mannequin was developed from Renee Lim, a, a medical doctor and um, an actor that uh, works in highly immersive emotional simulation in Sydney. So last year, actually, this all started in Dublin and there was a tasking, I guess, from smack then thinking of the year ahead to start production work on a mannequin that that was the life image of the actor to allow us to actually merge that um, simulated patient with the mannequin, with that perfect transition backwards and forth. And that was a really pivotal part for the for the process of the three three part simulation during the SMAC conference. Yeah, it was it was highly effective. And the end of that day one left us hanging about what was going to happen next. And so on day two, Chris Hicks from Toronto delivered what was one of the highlights of the conference for me, taking this story to the next episode. So he was highlighting the emergency department phase when Leah, our patient, uh, arrived in the ED and was very difficult to deal with. And of course, we don't know if she's just unpleasant or whether that's a head injury. So Chris basically stepped in and out of role as the emergency physician looking after this patient in a very realistic way, and then coming out of role as the discussant of the issues and the simulation techniques being used to bring them out. And as you said, the role of Leah was played brilliantly on stage by that same actor, Renee, who drew out those emotions that were clearly affecting Chris's simulated decisions. And so it was a very powerful sort of exercise in really seeing how you can build the very realities of the pressures involved on practitioners, whether that's through the triggers that our patients give us or whether it's through other cognitive load that we know exists in our real world. And then the finale of this series was delivered on day three by Jonathan Gatward uh, from Royal North Shore Hospital. And essentially the story has ended up with Leah now intubated in ICU and looking at a very poor outcome from her head injury. And the simulation highlighted was a family discussion about withdrawal of care and about organ donation. So once again, we could see the really careful design, the use of actors, so that we can train providers in an authentic way in these kinds of conversations. So so my perspective on these link talks was that they achieved a huge amount in a short space of time and I think for an audience who may have had a variable amount of simulation exposure sort of highlighted the diversity of the simulation approaches and how we really need to match those to what it is that we're trying to achieve. Uh, Did you have any other thoughts on those main stage talks Jesse? Really quite a stunning contrast of three markedly different techniques of um, simulation and uh, like we keep talking about is just that that absolute perfection of functional task alignment by using the exact right modality to achieve the desired outcome. I was a little wary as to how that would translate to the simulation naive, so I kind of made it a bit of an express purpose to um, have little corridor debriefing conversations with people that I ran into over the three days and just gauge what they were getting from those sessions. And the 
the thing that resoundingly came through was it had just broken down some major stereotypes about what simulation was that people were carrying from either being um, students or um, from their minimal experiences, usually just in ACLS type scenario. That's really interesting to hear. And from the other end of the spectrum, I was sitting next to Jenny Rudolph in at least one of those talks. And she also got an enormous amount out of it and said that she, when the talks come out, she was very keen to use them in her own faculty development. So I think that's a winning thing for any talk if it can appeal across the spectrum of expertise and experience. The, um, there were other main stage talks involving simulation. And in fact, the opening talk by Brian Burns was itself a futuristic trauma simulation involving drones and uh, rappelling from the ceiling. So that's definitely one to watch out for when the talks come out. And as I mentioned, Jenny Rudolph was there and she gave a WTF talk. Once again, probably one you have to watch to really appreciate, but essentially took a really engaging approach to understanding this concept of reframing our response to perceived poor performance. Instead of just being frustrating when people do something we don't like or we don't think is up to speed, instead trying to develop a reflex which is hang on, let's think about why people are doing it and try and understand it. And it was very interesting because again her talk evolved over the three days. I think having seen some of the early talks she really wanted to give people something to take home uh, and did. So moving on from the main talks, maybe to think about the panels now. And Jesse, you were involved in both the tribalism and education panels. Did you want to kick us off with a few thoughts on your participation and the thoughts about the tribalism panel and how simulation wove into that? Yeah, so I, I guess what's probably become uh, rebadged as a tribalism panel had the more um, academic title of interprofessional issues in critical care. The interesting thing with that panel was, again, the, the Trojan horse of simulation crept in very much to the conversation in ter terms of discussing how we actually do or rather probably more accurately don't manage to do genuine interprofessional learning very often. It's challenging some of the perceptions around the attendance of, say, nurses at medical simulation. We can often be left under the illusion that interprofessional learnings happen, whereas um, one part of that group may be going away feeling as though they were there to support and other disciplines education. That's certainly been something I've heard a number of times with simulation in the areas that I've worked in is the nurses uh, often possibly even withhold their full opinion and full skill set in the scenario because they feel as though the learning opportunity is for the medical trainees, the registrar group, which I think is a really interesting thing and something we have to be acutely aware of when we're uh, pre-briefing the scenarios, developing the um, tasks within the scenarios and the expected actions within um, a, a simulation plan. So that was a really common sort of discussion point that came through with that. Yes, and I would agree it sort of fits nicely with plenty of experience I have had. Um, and I know it's been really useful to think about, am I watching everybody when I'm doing this preparing to do this debriefing? Or am I watching the people who are more like me because I'm more familiar with their challenges? And I think that's a timely reminder both, as you said, for the preparation design and for um, conduct of debriefing. Yeah, so there was a lot of other subject matter discussed in that. Uh, heaps of it 
did actually center around that that whole concept of just the unconscious biases that we carry and um i suppose throwing forward to the other panel that i had some involvement in as twitter moderator so i actually lived the experience of that panel through the huge volume of tweets that came through over the 80 to 90 minutes in a lot of ways i think it was actually jenny jenny rudolph that suggested that simulation can actually be a a trojan horse of of sorts to getting people to talk and have learning conversations in their clinical environment. Yeah, and that's probably a nice segue into that education panel that uh, Jesse spoke about. And this was a interesting group of people who probably were heavily influenced by simulation. So it was uh, myself, Sandra Vigors, Chris Nixon, Daniel Cabrera from Mayo Clinic, Simon Carley from Manchester, Jenny Rudolph and Walter Epic with, yes, Jesse bravely dealing with the Twitter feed that followed the discussions. And as you say, I think simulation really comes of age when it's just regarded as one of the modalities that we talk about in a key issue rather than necessarily having to be the focus itself. And I think we saw that, although the group clearly were influenced by significant experience in SIM, we actually covered a range of issues, including thinking about how we prepare learners for a future we can barely envisage now, thinking about assessment, um, harking back to those same issues the day before and into professional education, and thinking about uh, learning from our work rather than separated from our work, which is obviously a big topic in itself. And I would recommend, again, we'll provide the link to Jesse's Storify of many of the uh, comments and questions that came from the audience in that panel, because it's a great read. But for me, one of the takeaways really was this interest in translating our debriefing approaches to learning conversations at work and the idea about having short clinical debriefings that draw on those same skills of encouraging reflective practice and performance improvement, but trying to embed them in our everyday work, not having to go off to a separate simulation exercise in order to do that. And so I'll, I'll post a link to an article in which Walter Epic is the lead author that really talks about these learning conversations. The other thing um, that came through resoundingly from both the interprofessional issues panel and the education panel, and in fact, um, Jenny's talk probably encapsulated the best, was the the underlying premise of positive regard. Um, Liz Crow put it so beautifully in the interprofessional issues panel is that we judge ourselves by our intentions, but we judge others by their actions. And I think that's a really, really important thing of um, with what flowed out through uh, Jenny's talk of translating things from what the F to what's their frame. And really, she very, very nicely encapsulated that premise of positive regard by saying, "What? how would it be different if the action you saw was your best friend doing it? How would your reaction be different? How would the discussion that sort of followed be different to if it was a work colleague that you didn't really know or you possibly had some um, ingrained biases about their performance already? Yeah, I agree. It was a very powerful message and one that we need reminding of at work because, of course, it's harder to do that when you're feeling stressed and like the world is against you and yet so important if we're actually going to be able to conduct sort of respectful um, collaborative care across departments or across professions. So great lessons often told through the medium of SIM, as you say, the Trojan horse, but actually far more fundamental than that. 
So it might be worth uh, moving on to the workshops now. And I was involved uh, on the faculty for the debriefing workshop, which was led by Walter Epic and included, again, Jenny Rudolph, uh, Michael Mergadushian, who's also done a Pause and Discuss episode with us from New York, uh, John Gatouard and Chris Nixon, and a uh, lovely fellow called Jan Smuts. And this was a really packed three hours looking at structure and conversational techniques in simulation debriefing. Uh, unsurprisingly, we had a focus on the PEARLS framework, but we also had some good thoughts on the fundamentals behind advocacy inquiry debriefing and a bit of a deep dive into team reflexivity, which was Jan's special interest area. Uh, the participants had lots of opportunities to practice debriefing at our tables using previously made videos uh, and attendees taking it turns to be debriefers. Uh, one of the outstanding things for me with this workshop was we had an incredibly multinational attendee group. So um, as often happens, I, I learned far more than I taught, I think, um, just based on the collective experience of the people who attended. And, and Jesse, I believe you were involved in at least, uh, you were involved in two simulations based workshops, um, which sounds like they're both very cutting edge. Yeah, it's been interesting because I've had the privilege, I guess, of being involved in the leaving the Sim Lab behind workshop for the last three years. So since the inception of it, and also the learning to take the heat, the stress inoculation training workshop, um, we've, we've had kind of a, a, a core faculty in each of those that has taught together for the last three years. So like Smack in general, I guess we we felt that there that there was a maturity in some of the concepts. As faculty, we'd been learning together over the last three years and sharing for the twelve months in between these um, three and a half four hour workshops and uh, keeping kind of refining them on an annual basis. So we started off the day. The first um, was the learning to take the heat um, stress inoculation training workshop, and uh, I guess one of the things we really consciously set out to do was transition from awareness raising, which was very much a feature two years ago in Chicago, to more tangible psychological skills training focus, and that was aided greatly by the addition of um, Michael Laurier to the faculty. So the group for this was Anand Swami Nathan. Uh, Chris Hicks, um, Mike Laurier, Tom Evans and myself um, with definitely some background support um, from Chris Nixon and Jason Brooks from Canada. Really the whole concept was much more refined into how to teach and how to think and structure into our teaching and our own personal um, use uh, cognitive reframing, concepts of overlearning or learning to a point of autonomy. So, so there was some overlap into that um, mastery learning, rapid cycle deliberate practice concepts from a sim point of view. There was mental rehearsal practice and learning how to run through petlock visualizations, which is a big area of um, practice for Tom Evans, who's a, an emergency physician, works with um, London Hems and also has coached the British Olympic rowing team. So the other thing that was of interest, I suppose, is a little tangent is this was right on the back on the um, day before the SMAC workshops, Tom had hosted the first ever London Performance Symposium, which um, I believe you attended, Vic, which was a congregation of performance experts and enthusiasts from around the world. 
Yes, it was one of the highlights of my trip to Europe, I have to admit, a couple of days before SMAC to get the opportunity to go. And you mentioned Tom Evans and Mike Laurier, who I hadn't met before and who were both there, uh, as well as a range of other people, a very interesting mix of people, pre-hospital people who spend a lot of time thinking about this, the performance experts from the simulation world, um, including uh, Chris Nixon, who gave a great talk, Vicky... Uh, LeBlanc from Toronto, uh, Kate Kellogg from the Star Organization in Washington, D.C., as well as sporting psychology experts. And I think it really got to the heart of how do we encourage high performance? And just as your workshop illustrated, you need multiple modalities, some of which are simulation, some of which are other techniques. But it's this whole ethos of really wanting to aspire to excellence that I think that group really imbued me with and, and gave me more motivation to come home and, and try some of their techniques. Yeah, so I think the big thing for us was starting to strip away at some of the militant machoism that can run alongside people's concepts around stress inoculation training and challenge this concept of that it's not just stress application training, that there's some deep and important psychological skills that we need to train our learners in before we subject them to the inoculation phase. So I'm really excited to, I was really excited to hear as well that a lot of the materials, um, a lot of the talks from the London Performance Symposium are actually going to be available as um, podcasts and vodcasts as well. So we will link whatever um, there is to tangibly link from the London Performance Symposium to the blog post associated with this over at simulationpodcast.com. The second part, I guess, uh, that uh, I had involvement with in the workshop day pre-SMAC was um, leaving the sim lab behind, which was a really intently focused simulation facilitators workshop focused on the modality of in-situ simulation as opposed to sim lab simulation. This way, we have also sort of progressed naturally from a few years ago having that kind of explicit purpose of um, raising awareness of the benefits to more looking at the nuances of um, what's different, why is it different, and again, looking at functional task alignment as being that core guiding compass to why and when we would use in-situ simulation. A, a big, big component of um, this workshop was looking at the change management problems that the participants brought, which was both... Um, demoralizing in in our conversations to to hear some of the struggles that some of these these amazing people were having in their own workplaces but also quite enlightening as groups i guess um, coming together as a hive mind to try and throw up some solutions and for me again it really just highlighted the this vital importance of what we're starting to see the formation of is this clinician educator focused um simulation community of practice that hopefully will help some of these people that the biggest symptom uh, I guess was that of isolation we've got a lot of work to do in relieving the isolation and helping out some people that are struggling very and working very hard to um, change practice and change minds in their own workplaces. Yes, I think often people in education and simulation think it's all about the educational aspects, and of course it is, but I think change management has always been the killer app for me in anything that I've tried to do successfully or unsuccessfully in educational endeavours. And I think probably that's particularly so, as you say, when you talk about in-situ simulation. One of the benefits of simulation centre-based training is it does tend to bring together a congregation of people that has its pluses and its minuses, we know. But 
for some people trying to embed in situ based approaches, they're often on their own, as you say. And I guess that's one of our motivations for being here at all on Simulcast, isn't it, Jesse? Completely. Um, so the other thing that was was a bit of a privilege in that was actually we got to debut the Leah Mannequin and also we were working with Renee Lim, the actor, in the launch off simulation that we did at the start of the four hour workshop. To be fair, this was quite a learning experience for us as well as when you're handing over a sim for the participants in the workshop to essentially take control of and run the pre-brief for and sort of guide the debrief for we've got to be very careful about uh, psychological safety because this played out due to Renee's uh, complete character immersion as being probably more stressful as a simulation than any of us had anticipated. We understood that there was going to be some definite intrinsic and extrinsic stressors that were purposefully built into the scenario, but it the, the authenticity of it due to Renee's unwavering sort of intensity um, was certainly a, a real eye-opener and took some skillful debriefing. Uh, yeah, timely reminder about how powerful those exercises can be, Jesse. So the last thing probably to highlight was the Sim House. And as you'll recall, we did an episode with Sarah Cook about that last month. And the Sim House was both a physical space and a set of activities that ran throughout the conference. It was a place where the industry were based and there was, as we've already talked about, some amazing new technology on show there. And there were some other activities like a meet the experts sessions at the breaks where people could come up and chat to people who'd had various experience in various aspects of simulation. So I was only loosely involved in the planning of it, but it seemed to me yet another way that we could weave simulation throughout an education and clinical conference. And Jesse, I know you were also a bit involved in the organization of that uh, I thought it went really well. Yeah, I think the really useful thing out of it was that um, the stimulus, I guess, conversations um, of the three talks throughout the conference sort of funneled people towards the Sim House, which was a, a nice hotbed, I guess, of um, the partnered industry sponsors who got to really have some good meaty discussions about um, particularly the Leah Mannequin and the use of um, some of the other uh, some of the other adjuncts in the simulations, but also it was a hotbed to go to and actually have a conversation with. I, I use the term very reluctantly. Um, experts in the particular different features of simulation. I was I was day three actually debriefing with Jenny Rudolph, and uh, yeah, it was a little bit deflating how many people want to talk to me compared to her. <laughs> Don't take it personally. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so hopefully looking at that range of activities, as we said at the beginning, simulation and its various applications and aspects were really covered a lot at the SMAC conference. Where can you go for more? If you're interested and you're on Twitter, you can go back to the hashtag DASSMAC, where this DAS S-M-A-C-C, where there'll be plenty about the whole conference, but also plenty about simulation. And also there was a specific hashtag SimHouse, S-I-M-H-A-U-S, if people are interested. We will post the links to Jesse's Storify on the education panel, as well as the other articles and links that we've mentioned. And of course, you can wait for the talks and podcasts to be released over the next year from the smack.net 
www.ac.org.au website uh, and podcasts. The next Smack is in Sydney in February 2019. So, Jesse, it's been a pleasure again. Any other final thoughts or comments from you? Really, once again, very exciting to see um, simulation infiltrating a clinical conference. Absolutely. Um, Before we leave, a couple of little brief announcements. One being, don't forget the Australasian Simulation Congress on at the end of August, where Simulcast will be broadcasting some podcasts for you. And an exciting initiative that is coming up later in July, Simulcast is forming a collaboration with the Advances in Simulation Journal. And Deborah Nestel and I will be launching that collaboration in a podcast coming up in a couple of weeks where we will be featuring some of the publications that uh, that excellent journal has been putting out over the last couple of years and talking with editors and authors. So we're looking forward to that. So signing off from Simulcast again, uh, looking forward to talking to you all again soon. (laughs) 